This is Truth Encounter, and today we challenge you to take a careful look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. How could the Apostle Paul act like a Jew one minute and a Gentile the next? Did this mean he was a yellow-bellied compromiser? Let's join our study leader, Dave Wardson, as he talks with us about how to become enslaved to Christ so that we can find the ultimate freedom. We need to be constantly growing, constantly adapting to a changing culture so that the message will come effectively across to people. When the Apostle Paul was with Gentiles, he acted like a Gentile. And yet he adds a little phrase. I act when I'm with those not under the law. I act like one not under the law. In other words, the Apostle Paul, if he were with Gentile people, would have no problem. If you said, would you like a ham and Swiss on rye? He would say, sure. No problem at all. Jesus declared all foods clean. Paul, we just had, you know, a ham and Swiss on rye. Can we also have ice cream? Do you mind if we mix those things? He said, sure. You sure you don't want to wait, the, Paul? You don't want to wait two hours to make sure everything's cleared out? No, let's go ahead. No problem. I'm with Gentiles. I act like a Gentile. And yet Paul adds this little phrase, and yet I'm under the law of Christ. When I give a message like this, it's very easy. It's very easy to misunderstand and for us to begin to think, well, what Dave is telling us is we can live any way we want to live. We can do anything we want to do. So what we do is we have some of our young people that go down to Bourbon Street in New Orleans and they're going to witness on the strip down there and they're really adopting their lifestyle. And then they have trouble with morality. And then we say, hey, you know what happened? Well, we missed a little phrase, I am under the law of Christ. Now, what is the law of Christ? Jesus said this, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. He said that the essence of Christ coming into our life, it does abrogate the law, the moral law, the cultural law, the, the ceremonial law. It abrogates that as a system of salvation, but it does not negate it as the character of God and the revelation of God. And when Christ enters into our life, it makes us not a licentious people, but it makes us a very moral people. Not because we have to perform for God, but because Christ has crucified that old man. And, he, and Christ has entered into our life and changed our desires, and so we become the fulfillment of the law. And the Apostle Paul, though he was free, he was not under the law, he had a very adaptive lifestyle. He could be a Gentile when he was with Gentiles, he could be a Jew when he was with Jews, but he did not adapt himself morally. That's one of those other fine lines. He didn't adapt his message, and he didn't adapt his morality. The Apostle Paul was always moral. He did not cheat. He did not steal. He did not bear false witness. He did not do any of those things because he was afraid he'd lose favor in the sense of losing his position in God's family. But he fulfilled those things through the power of Christ living within him. You know, that's the most powerful law of all. It's the most powerful influence of all. You see, when we fall in love with Christ, then we can watch anything we want to watch. 
but you won't want to watch certain things. A lot of you ask me, well, can I go here? Can I go there? Sure, legally, you can go wherever you want to go. But remember, Christ dwells in your life. And wherever you go, Christ goes. I heard about a guy in a, in a Bible institute that having a whole lot of trouble with pornography. An idea that helped him greatly is this idea that his counselor told him, when you go to open that door to go into that place, I want you to turn and say, Lord Jesus, you go first. Now, if you really love the Savior and you've genuinely been born again, that'll tear your guts out. And we as a group of believers should become very sensitive to the presence of Christ in our life, not in the sense that we have a boogeyman going with us, but in the sense that we have a very loving, guiding friend who wants the very best for us. And I'll challenge you that anything that the Holy Spirit powerfully convicts you about inside, and when you go to do something, you say, I have the freedom to do this. I can watch this program. I can go to this particular place. I can be with this particular friend. Yeah, you have the freedom to do it. But if as you do it, you start to feel great turmoil and there's great problem inside, you say, Lord, I'm not sure you're comfortable here. Leave. Don't do it. Turn away from it. Because that's this control of the spirit within us. The Apostle Paul lived very sensitively under that control of the Spirit. The problem of a legal church, the problem of a church that emphasizes a lot of rules and regulations, is they have very intricate discipline. But many times they don't have a lot of relationship. They don't have a lot of closeness. They don't have a lot of love for the Savior. But the problem of a church that emphasizes the relational side is that many times they can become very undisciplined morally. And they can be very undisciplined in their lifestyle. And they can be doing a lot of things that grieve the Savior. And I would pray that all of us, myself included, I would pray that all of us would think very carefully about the line between lifestyle accommodation over just neutral things like clothing, and what we eat and whether we go to church on Saturday or Sunday or Monday or Wednesday, whenever it is. Lots of things like that that are just lifestyle things. And some moral things, some moral character that Jesus is totally unbending about. And he wants to give us the strength to live holy, pure lives. I love the Apostle Paul because he always has this inspired balance. He talks to us about freedom. He talks to us about the joy of forgiveness. He talks to us about the fact that we'll never achieve intimacy with God through our own self-help program, through our own obedience. But then he turns around and he talks to us about the discipline and the purity that comes to those who are living under the controlling influence of Christ, which is what the law of Christ is all about. The law of Christ is not an external code written on tablets of stone. It is an internal life, an internal person that's created inside of you that from the heart fulfills the commands of Christ. And so we have this principle. Be willing to adapt your lifestyle, but never your message. And I would also add, 
and never your morality. Never adapt your message, and yet to get the full impact of the Apostle Paul in these verses, he's also saying, I never adapt the internal morality that Christ created in me, and I live a pure life, a free life, but a pure life. Never adapt your message or your morality, but your lifestyle, the way you dress, times of worship, all kinds of things that enter into our lifestyle, food that we eat, those things are very adaptable. I want to say this. Along these lines, the first two years that a person becomes a believer, according to research, those first two years are the most effective time periods for evangelism. You know why that is? Because you haven't learned the evangelical jargon yet. And what you've started to do is you've started working through your unbelieving friends. Some of your unbelieving friends come to the Savior and they come and join you. Some of your unbelieving friends leave because of the offense of the gospel. And those people, you know, they leave legitimately. But some of our unbelieving friends leave because we don't speak any of their language anymore. And I'm not talking about cussing. I'm talking about the fact that we, we become so weird. We use language that they don't understand. And we also have an idea that somehow it's wrong to be with unbelieving people. Now I want to be really cautious here and remember what I said about we never adopt our morality. We never adapt our message. But the Bible is not calling Midlothian Bible Church to become an evangelical ghetto. To become a group of people that have their own nice place and their own nice message and their own nice way of relating to one another and people are excluded on the outside. No, I tell you this often, but the reason I tell you it, it often is that one of Satan's biggest lies that he's telling the unbelievers out there is they're not welcome. They're not welcome with Jesus. They're not welcome with God. They have sinned too badly. Now they're angry about it and they'll get angry with you, but many times no one's ever clearly communicated to them that Jesus loves them. Jesus died for them. Now if they come Sunday morning, they expect me to say that. In fact, to be perfectly honest with you, when I get up to talk almost anywhere and I present the gospel, God has a big problem. Now, He overcomes it and praise God for the way that He uses ministers. But the big problem is that you've heard it so much from the reverend, you've heard it so much from the minister that it goes in one ear and out the other, if you even hear it at all. It's not so with y'all. If you're with a group of neighborhood friends, and you're just talking, and people are talking about, boy, I don't know how we ever can get things to hold together. And you share honestly, you know, there's times in my life I don't think I have anything together. And my whole life seems to be coming unraveled like a, a big ball of yarn. But then I have this friend that sticks closer to a brother who's always with me and always assures me of his love. I'm just so thankful to have Jesus in my life and drop it. You're in a discussion with parents. I mean, how do we get these kids to say no? 
What more information can we give them? And you can talk very skillfully about the information they need and help that's available. And then you throw something like this right in the middle of all that. You say, hey, you know, I'm not sure I could say no. What? I thought you were the outstanding moral citizen. You go, yeah, maybe that's the way it looks like on the outside. But you know what I find out? I find there's a part of me that is crazy. It's almost self-destructive. Man, the very thing that I want to do, I can't do. And the thing that I don't want to do, I do. Yeah? You feel like that at times? Yeah. Man, this passion comes over me, and I don't know what I'm going to do. They'll think you're a little bit crazy, and you say, but you know, I'm so thankful there's someone that's so much more powerful than that chaotic passion that's within. I'm so thankful that the living Savior, Jesus, has come into my life. And then drop it. You see, a lot of times we go too far. We get preachy. When what the Lord wants us to do is just give authentic, personal testimonies. Is it easy to do that? No. Every one of you have wrestled this week. You've been in a conversation. The opportunity was there. But man alive, it was like somebody put about a 3,000-pound lead weight right on your mouth. Now that's what we're here together to help one another to do to learn how to rely upon the Spirit, to get boldness, to realize that we're all in this together. It's easy to confess Christ in a multitude of people that confess Christ with you. It's hard to confess Christ in the office when everyone else disagrees with you. But oh, I have, oh how I'm praying. If ever there was a time when we needed the laity, and I don't even like that language, but you understand what I mean when we need just common, everyday believers gospelizing unconditionally and freely and with love speaking up for Jesus. You're not, you're not pushing something on someone when you share a love relationship that you've found. And that was the passion of the Apostle Paul's life. He had a freedom in his life not to be under the law, not to be under a performance standard, but he was enslaved to the gospel of Christ. He closes this passage, and we'll close it by using an athletic metaphor. Let me just read the verses to you, and let me clear up a fear that these verses might create in you, but then I want the verses to leave us with a very healthy warning. Not fear, but a warning. Verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Many interpreters have, have viewed these verses as the Apostle Paul was worried about his life in Christ. He was worried that he would lose his salvation. I want you to know that if there's if there's anybody in the New Testament that's not worried about their eternal salvation, it's the Apostle Paul. 
He is the one that wrote, Therefore there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For, for he who has been delivered from the law of sin and death is free. He ends the chapter, Romans 8, by saying, What shall separate us from the love of God? His answer to that question is, after he piled one statement after another, what can separate us from the love of God? Who can separate us from the love of God? And he says tribulation, distress, death, principalities, powers, that's the demonic world. He just piles everything you can think of and he ends up saying nothing can separate us from the love of God. He's the one that wrote Philippians 1.6. Being confident of this good thing, being confident of this very thing, he which began a good work in you will perform it till the day of Jesus Christ. You know what I believe? As I look at many of you, I remember in many of your lives the moment that God began a good work in you because you've shared that with me. Some of you, it's happened. We don't know exactly the time, the exact moment, but we remember when you heard the message and when the Holy Spirit started to make it real to you. I can remember the beginning of a good work in you. And I've shared with you a beginning of a good work in my own life when I was five. What I want you to realize today, you can be confident. Because God hasn't lost one yet. God hasn't lost one of his children yet. We might lose our kids. We might lose them in a supermarket. Horrifying situation. We might lose them in an airport. Oh, how we need to watch our kids and be careful. But you know, the Heavenly Father hasn't lost one of his kids yet. Satan has not been able to come into his family fold and rob one of the sheep that was a legitimate sheep. Because greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Now does that mean, all right, I got a fire escape. Everything's free. Once saved, always saved. I can now live any way I want to. At the very end, I can go, whee, what a great ride. Man, Las Vegas, Miami, you know, traveling around the world, doing a lot of really neat things. Man, I gambled, and I was immoral, and I was a terrible person. But praise God, I'm saved by grace. And man, my terrible life just makes God's grace shine. You know what God said about that? What Paul said about it, God forbid. Heavens, how could you ever talk like that? Because Paul said, beware, you can't lose your salvation, but you can be disqualified from the race. You know, disqualification is one of the most horrible things that ever happens to you in athletics. It really is. One of the most horrible things is to be in a swim race and to be swimming and to give your heart and to win the race and have him tell you, I'm sorry, you crossed the line and got in the way of the other swimmer and you are disqualified. And all the kids know, man, when you're disqualified, I'm sorry, you went over the line. The Apostle Paul was very concerned about disqualification. And I would go through the book and just remind you, in chapter 3 he was concerned about disqualification because you built on the wrong foundation because you built with the wrong materials. And he warned us that we need to build our lives on the gospel and we need to build on the revealed word of God. In chapter 5, he warned us about the disqualification that comes from immorality and greed. And we've seen some of that. And 1 Timothy 3 talks about you need to have respect among unbelievers. The reality of what God has done in our church family this week if I fell into immorality, 
it would disqualify me from much of what God was doing. Doesn't mean that God's family doesn't march on. It doesn't mean that I can't find forgiveness. But it does mean a loss of effectiveness, a loss of reputation, a loss of influence. It's a reality of life. And our tolerant, namby-pamby kind of view of morality is not going to change that. Politically, spiritually, Paul was concerned about that. And I want you to know this from the depths of my heart. I am concerned about it, and I want you to be concerned about it. We need to pray for one another. Let him who thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. The threat of harsh disputes. He warns us in chapter 6 about how legal disputes can tear a church family apart. Paul says, beware lest disputes disqualify us and start to remove some of the effectiveness of God's family. And then in chapter 8, he talks to us about the disqualification of becoming a stumbling block to a weaker brother. He was very concerned. He not only was a Jew to the Jew, he was not only a Gentile to the Gentiles, but he also said in chapter 9 that he would be a weak person. He would have a very delicate conscience when he was with an individual that had a delicate conscience because he was so concerned not to put a stumbling block. And he talks about the disqualification that can come, that loss of effectiveness if we put a stumbling block in a weaker brother's way. Now, Paul is not concerned that he loses salvation. He is concerned that he could lose his effectiveness in proclaiming the gospel. I want to warn us. We're not in danger of losing our salvation. But every day we could be in danger of losing our effectiveness, of losing the opportunity of being powerfully used, not necessarily in a big publicity way, but in a genuine personal way to have an impact upon the area that the Lord has called us to minister in. But Paul did run well, and that's what I want to say in closing. You know, these days I think a church family needs to know there's a lot of believers that run well. I found tremendous comfort in the Lord from his word reminding me about the authentic people. And I want every one of us to realize, because I know that you believe this very much, for every powerful media evangelist that falls, there's thousands of common, everyday, sometimes very poor believers that are gifted evangelists that even when they risk their lives, present the gospel. There are a host of witnesses who have given their life for the gospel. So let's remember that. For every preacher that embezzles funds, there's hundreds upon hundreds that are honest, scrupulously honest, genuinely care about our souls. And Paul was one of those initial foundational gifted men who was a man with a message, not a method, a man who was an equipper, not a big star or a lone star. Paul was a man with a gift, not a budget. The Apostle Paul finished his life not in a scandal, but passing the baton to a younger man to run again.
And he told Timothy at the end of his life, I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. I have finished my course. I ran well. Therefore, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the precious Lord Jesus will give to those that are faithful. Run well, family. Let's run together. Adapting our lifestyle, never adapting our message or our moral character. 